Welcome to Held and Healed. I am so excited to have another guest on with us this morning. Neil Shorey from the Chicago area is a pastor who is also um, passionate about advocating for women. And he's going to share some of his story and why God has called him to this platform. So welcome this morning to Held and Healed, Neil. Thank you so much, Heather. It's good to be with you. Thanks for taking the time out of what I know is a very busy schedule for you. And um, I guess that I met you through one of the online support groups that you are pretty active in. I think it was Gretchen's group. And then I was able to meet your lovely wife. And I'm just very excited about getting to know the two of you better and grateful for the work that you are doing. Well, thank you so much. And we definitely feel the same way. And we know um, with no uncertainty that we are far better together than apart. So this is awesome to connect with you. Absolutely. I just got back from an amazing retreat last weekend and was with 500 survivors. And I think that's the thing that I felt overarching everything is just that sense of we're all in this together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not like this is your ministry and that is my ministry and buy my book, but don't buy her book. Like everybody really, truly has this sense of coming together, understanding that the need is so great and that we have to work together if we're going to get the job done. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, everybody comes from it at a slightly different angle and, I think that as advocates, it's always wise for us to approach this with humility and recognize that we all have blind spots and that God is gracious to us and he will send us other people who don't have those same blind spots. You know, he wants us to work together. There's no question in my mind. Absolutely. So I'm going to try my best not to say wow a thousand times. So when I... (laughs) When I interviewed Gretchen, I swear I said, wow, like 143 times, but it was, it was genuine. Like she was just dropping one truth bomb after another. And I went back and listened to it and I was like, you know what, whatever it is what it is. (laughs) So I will try my best not, not to sound like a dork, but I know you have an incredible story. And so just uh, take some time here and Share a little bit about yourself and why this is something that you feel God has called you to fight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity again. So um, very early on in my ministry career, um, I was a counseling pastor for a large church in the Chicago suburbs, probably about 30 minutes from where I live now. And um, in in my role, my, my, my primary job was really to meet people and um, really just help them work through issues. You know, we, uh, in a large congregation, there are a large number of issues. So um, I really got to the point um, in the the short time that I'd been there, um, I really felt, I kind of had this like feeling like I've really encountered everything that I could experience, which was, you know, when I think about it now, it's like, I can't believe I thought that, number one. Um, But I really had um, a broad range of things that I got to help people with. And um, one day, uh, right after a service was over, a woman came up to me and she said, hey, Neil, she goes, I know you're the the counseling pastor here. She said, I'd like to set up a time to talk with you um, about my marriage. I've just got some kind of regular marriage issues that I think I just need to talk through and work out. And I said, sure. So we ended up meeting um, that next week. I don't remember when, but just a, a handful of days later, we met up at a coffee shop just down the street from the church. And um, 
she told me about uh, her husband. They'd been married a short time. Um, there was a big age difference between the two, 30 years. Wow, and, that's, um, that's a lot. It was a, it's a big amount. And I tried not to act really surprised, but I was, you know, I was still surprised. I'm like, well, that's a big age difference. But, you know, you know how we're kind of like taught not to, not to prejudge, not to jump to conclusions. So I didn't want to think the worst, but I, I just sort of put that in the back of my mind. Like, that's different. And um, she just told me about her marriage. And most of it seemed relatively lighthearted. I think that's just the way she presented it. Um, she talked about one thing that stood out to me was that she talked about how her husband was pretty jealous at times. And she said, but I don't think it's out of the ordinary. And I just sort of I heard that. I ended up meeting with her uh, a number of times, and then I ended up meeting with her husband as well, individually, and then also with her. And um, most of the time, they seemed like they got along really well. Um, I did notice things like when I would ask her a question, he often would be kind of looking at her, and mm -hmm. then she would glance towards him as if she needed his okay to answer. And I just, I, I yeah. just took note of that. They sat together really close to, and I thought, well, that's, that's interesting, but I, I gotta be honest at the time, I just didn't know enough about uh, the dynamics of sure. sure. in order to really understand what was happening. So um, a number of things happened that were concerning in the times that I talked to them. Um, one of the times that really stands out to me is that um, at the very last second before uh, we had a counseling appointment together, um, she called me and she said, hey, Neil, um, our babysitter uh, just uh, bailed on us. Is there any way you could come to our house instead of meeting at the coffee shop? And my policy has always been to meet in public because I, I feel like it's safer. It's a good safeguard. It, it, you know, people can see exactly what you're doing when you're right. in public. Right. So um, I... But I felt a little bit of a pressure and I also sensed that she needed to. So I, I bent my rule to meet with the two of them at their house. I was uncomfortable with it, but I thought, you know, if she needs it and it's just one time, I can do that. So I went to the house and um, really quickly, I'm sitting at the kitchen table with them. And um, she said, I have to tell you what he did. And she said, I um, just went to see my sister. And at the time, her sister was uh, very, very sick. She was dying in a hospital a couple of hours away in Peoria, Illinois. And she spent time with her sister. She didn't have a lot of time left and she stayed overnight. And she said, my husband called me over and over and over again, just wouldn't leave me alone. Didn't give me space to be with my sister. And um, I got home and he actually, um, he, he was physically aggressive with me as he accused me of being with another man and he wanted to find out if I'd been with another man. And I hearing this when I'm sitting at the table with this couple was just astounding. And I could see her fear. Um, she was sobbing as she shared the story. And he, I don't know how to explain how stone cold he was. Mm. It was like sitting with an alligator, like just mm. no feeling. Mm. Um, his eyes got really dark. And at one point he stood up and he said, well, I think that's about enough time. I, I, I don't think I want to sit here anymore today, but thanks for coming. And he shook my oh, hand goodness. and quietly walked out of the room. Um, and I'm still sitting there with her, honestly, wondering where he is, knowing that what she just shared was devastating 
for her, definitely also for him. And I, I just had this feeling of, I need to get out of here. This is not safe. And I had no idea what to do with her. So we sat at the table, talked a couple more minutes, and I made my way towards the front door and she walked me to the front door. I, I had this weird feeling that I needed to find out where he was. So right when I got to the front door, I turned and I saw him out of the corner of my eye and he was sitting in his office. He had a home office and he was sitting behind this nice big desk with bookshelves behind it. Really just a really nice office. And he was standing, he was standing there with his arms behind his back. Like he was hiding his hands and immediately I'm afraid. Now this guy, um, he was a sergeant in the police force. So I knew that he had weapons. And my first thought was, he's trying to intimidate me to get me to wonder if he's armed. Mm -hmm. And I was, honestly, I was really scared. And I, I slowly walked towards him, trying to let him know, like, I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not going to be aggressive with you. <clears throat> and I slowly reached out my hand to him and I said, Drew, are you okay? And he looked at me very calmly and he just extended his right hand. He left his left hand behind his back mm -hmm. and he said, I'm fine. I just had enough for the day. Have a good day. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I walked out and I remember, I remember getting to my car and I slowly turned around and I saw Stacy standing there and she didn't make any sound. She just had tears streaming from her, from her eyes. And that was the second to last time that I saw Stacy. Mm. I'm going to the last, like, I'm going to share a little bit about the last time that I met with Stacy. And she, she had, uh, she called me. Um, she called me, I believe on a Thursday, Thursday night, Thursday evening. And she said, Neil, is there any way that you have any time tomorrow to meet? I really, really need to talk to you. And I looked at my um, calendar on my, uh, on, on my computer at work. And I realized that I actually, I was surprised. I had the next day, I had some space in the morning available. So I said, yes, we ended up meeting at a local Starbucks, a different coffee shop in town. And um, I sat down with her and she seemed extra nervous. She seemed as though something she, I felt like she wanted to say something that she hadn't said before. I don't know how to explain it, but I could, could just feel it, that there was more that she wanted to say. And at the start, it, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. She talked about, yeah, Drew's jealous sometimes. Yes, Drew um, follows me to stores. Yes, Drew accuses me of, of cheating on him. Um, yes, I think there's a GPS attached to my car. And she said, and I think that he is sending other officers to, um, uh, to, to follow me where I go. And almost as soon as she said that, I saw a Bolingbrook police officer slowly drive past where we were sitting and he was mm. clearly looking at us. Oh, wow. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is scary. I think she's right. And she said, uh, suddenly out of the blue, about 30 minutes into our conversation, she said, Neil, I think I want to tell you something. And yes. she just said it with such an urgency. And I said, Stacy, share with me whatever you want, but there is no pressure. This is this is something that if you want to say, you're, you feel totally free and open to share it with me. Otherwise, you know, you, you can hold it and we can talk about it later. 
We talked a few more minutes and suddenly she blurted out something that absolutely changed uh, the trajectory of my calling. And I knew that it was one of the most significant events of her life. Mm. And she said, Neil, he did it. And I said, he, he did what? And she said, Neil drew killed Kathleen. Now here's the thing. Stacy was drew Peterson's fourth wife. And Kathleen Savio was Drew Peterson's third wife. And Stacy was telling me, because I asked her about it, I said, who is this? Who, what are you talking about? And she said, Drew killed Kathleen Savio. And I asked her questions about it. And she gave me very specific details about mm. what Drew did to his third wife on the night that she died. Mm. He made it look like an accident. It was not thoroughly investigated. And it was ruled an accident. Well, a 40-year-old woman doesn't tend to die in a dry bathtub. Like, we right. all know that, right? Right, right. But that it was classified as an accident. Basically, uh, Drew went and he killed her in the night. And he came home in the middle of the night. And Stacy heard him come in uh, through the laundry room. And he was carrying duffel bags. And he was wearing all black, head to toe covered. And she said, where were you? And he said, you know where I was. She said it again. Where were you? And he said, you know where I was. And he wouldn't answer her question. And he ended up dumping the bags of clothing into the washing machine. And then he walked out of the laundry room. And Stacy said she looked into the washing machine and they were woman, women's clothes that weren't hers. And she immediately was just horrified because she just knew what he had done. And um, he ended up finding her in the house uh, a few minutes later. And he said, hey, in, in just a, a few hours, the police are going to be here and they're going to question us about Kathleen's death. And if you say what I tell you to say, this will be the perfect crime. That, mm. That's a word for word quote, what Stacy told me. Mm. Um, so that was obviously. Um, Goodness gracious. Wow. Just, uh, just an overwhelming moment. I, I said to Stacy, what do you want me to do with this information? Um, because even though I didn't know how to handle this, I also knew this was her story. And she looked at me and she very, very securely said, very confidently said, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you. Mm. She and wanted to un unburden herself. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I just knew even, I, I had no idea what to do, but I knew this is a serious moment. I was never trained for in seminary. Correct. Yeah. I've, that's, that's what I was going to say. There's no course in seminary that prepares you for this. There, there's not Heather. Yeah. And here's the thing, here's the craziest part about it. I have a master's in counseling mm -hmm. from seminary mm -hmm. and I never had any, any training in the area of abuse or recognizing abuse. And if I haven't had training as a pastor with a master's in counseling, right? I know for a fact, most pastors don't get any training in the right. area of abuse. Yeah. Yet victims are often going to pastors first. So we Absol have a problem. Absolutely. And even just like a pet peeve of mine is using the word counseling when there is no training, when there is no licensing. It's so misleading to people. 
Yes. Because people, when you ask someone, are you going to counseling? And if their pastor calls it that, they think they're getting trained, you know, even sometimes they think licensed care and they are not. Right. And the stories that I hear and the things that you've experienced over and over is that untrained, unlicensed care is re-victimizing, re-traumatizing and making the situation 10 times worse. It is, it's devastating for pastors, particularly those that have no training at all, no experience, um, no, no formal education in counseling um, to try to enter into an arena that has such complex dynamics. Um, uh, uh, The the area of abuse is so complicated and um, even even um, licensed counselors often they don't understand the dynamics of domestic violence. Exactly. Per- exactly. If they're Christians, exactly. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of confusion among Christians, and I, I have some ideas as to why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I'm yeah. still learning. Well, the one thing that's been extremely helpful for me that I want to keep uh, pointing people towards, um, I'm working with Sarah McDougall right now, and on YouTube she has 13 systems of abuse. She has a playlist where she takes the power and control wheel and she goes even broader than the power and control wheel. Beautiful. So yeah, that's a great resource to point people towards. And if you just go to Sarah McDougall on YouTube and you type in systems of abuse, there's like a playlist that has those. And, you know, understanding that not every situation is going to be like the Peterson case where there's, you know, where there's murder and where there's physical abuse, but the psychological, the mental, the spiritual, yes. the financial, the using pets and property, using the children. There. Yeah. There's so many different uh, facets that we need. We need training. We do desperately. Any person that's in a leadership position in a church needs to do the time. <laughs> and yeah. there are there are so many incredible resources, whether it's through Sarah's courses or whether it's through um, Psalm 82 initiative or through right. PeaceWorks. Like there are so many great ministries that are rising up that will train. But people, yes. pastors, leaders have to get to the place where they acknowledge that they need that and then be willing to put their money and their time into getting that training. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's essential. I, I, I think part of overcoming that obstinance. I, th- I think, you know, I, I don't think every pastor is trying to be difficult. Right. I, I think that there are a lot of pastors out there that really truly don't believe that it's happening in their church. Right. Right. And, and I just want to, I just have to say pastors, <laughs> it's yeah. happening in your church. As yes. a matter of fact, yes. um, there are studies right now. Um, there's a, there's a great study uh, done by Stephen Tracy out of Phoenix seminary. So it's a, it's a Christian seminary. And he says that um, the the rates of abuse are actually highest, absolutely uh, among male males who um, basically are nominal Christians. In other yes. words, they go periodic. So the most dangerous people for yes. victims are people that are partially religious. Yes, and that is yes. that's terrifying because. Um, if you can justify abuse with religion, you're officially the most dangerous kind of person that exists. 100%. So we hear, we hear studies about one in four, one in three women are experiencing some element of like the power and the control wheel. But I believe with all of my heart within the conservative faith community, that number is 50 to 75% maybe higher. 
maybe higher. I think that's very, that's very likely. Because like you said, you have nominal Christians, people who do not have the fruit of the spirit in their lives, people who know enough about God's word to weaponize it and use it against their wives, people who take cherry pick scriptures and set them aside without looking at the verses that came before and after and the context and just using those things to beat up women and put them into a place of submission. So I know the Peterson story doesn't end there. Right. So after that coffee that you had with her, what then went down? You know, so, so much happened. Um, you know, that uh, right around that same time, my wife and I had our twin daughters. So our second and third children. And um, we were really quickly overwhelmed by media. The media was trying to get to me because Stacy disappeared two months after the very last meeting that I had with her. Right when I was starting in a new church, right with new twins. And so all these things converged on our family at the same time. I still had no idea what to do. But around that same time, I really just started praying. Um, and I and I just said, my, my just honest prayer was, Lord, um, I believe you put me here for a reason to hear Stacy's story. Mm-hmm. Please show me what I'm supposed to do with it, because I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And Um, uh, just under two years later, um, I got a message on Facebook from a woman named Susan Murphy Milano, um, who was truly one of the greatest forces of nature I have ever met. Just an incredible, passionate, brilliant advocate for victims of abuse. And she became an advocate because, uh, there was, uh, there was a tragedy in her own family. Um, because her dad was a decorated Chicago police detective and he, he, uh, he and, uh, her mom got divorced and right when it was all tying up, he asked the mom to meet, uh, one more time to have a conversation and they met and, uh, Susan ended up discovering her mother's body because the father, her father killed her mom and then killed himself on the same day and Mm. Susan discovered their bodies. Mm. And Susan said that that day in 1989 changed her whole life. And she said, I realized that day that I couldn't save my mom through all the things that she'd been through because the father was extremely abusive, but had a great reputation in the community, which is extremely common. Right. Abusers uh, abusers aren't monsters in public. Yeah, Um, you're right. You're right. They're just monsters around the people. They just tend to be monsters around the people that they are abusing. So they can have this great public persona. And her dad did with a great reputation as a police officer. And so uh, Susan said that day, I realized I couldn't save my mom, but I'm going to work the rest of my life to save as many women as I possibly can. So she did that. Uh, Tons and tons of women were rescued because of her work. So she reached out to me on Facebook and she said, Neil, I saw you do an interview on Fox News and I'd really love to talk to you. I also happen to live in the Chicago area. And she said, are you open to that? I said, of course. So we met at another Starbucks. And um, over the course of about three to four hours, Susan asked me questions about why I did what I did, how I did what I did, and basically um, chastised me for three or four hours and said, you didn't do this right. You should have done this. She let me have it. And I just listened. <laughs> I just listened. I just said, wow. Yeah, you're mm, right. Nope, mm. I nope. I did that wrong. Yep. Oh, oh, yeah, I see that. 
And at the end of what, at the end of really letting me have it, she said, Neil, I truly believe Mm. that you could be used to help change the culture in churches because churches are not friends of victims of abuse and it should be that way. Right. That's right. And she said, so are you interested? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And she said, no, let me get this straight. I just let you have it for hours. (laughs) And you're telling me that you want to meet with me on a regular basis to learn about the dynamics of abuse so that you can help churches change. Mm. And I said, yep. She goes, "Uh, I don't get it. Why? Why? Why do you want to do that? And I said, Susan, I have prayed for this for Mm. almost two years. Um, And I said, you are the answer to my prayers. And she looked at me with a smile and she said, got it. And that tells me to the degree of humility and the teachable spirit that you have. And that is, that is one of my biggest prayers is that more leaders would have that humility and that teachable spirit. Because I don't think, as you stated, I don't think that pastors intend to steer people wrong or intend to re-victimize or re-trauma or traumatize or turn a blind eye. However, that is happening. Yes. And if we just get tools into the hands of the people that have these positions of power and authority, then we can see the tide turn. And so you were willing, you were willing to do that. So I guess what I would love to hear from you, what are maybe three of the top things if I knew then what I know now? Like what if you were just sitting across the table at a coffee shop, which apparently you keep the coffee shops in your town and business. I'm thinking. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. If you were sitting across the table from another pastor who is just sitting there, like not knowing where to begin, what are some of the top three things you would want that pastor to know? Oh gosh. There's so many. And I would love (laughs) to talk more and more about this because we um, we will, we'll do this again. I, I, I love the question. It's an essential question. Um, the very first thing that I would say is pastors, if you hear about physical abuse, if, if a woman comes to you and says she is being physically abused, now I, I specifically say physically, um, the most immediate thing that you need to do is help her find safety um, in a place that her abuser is very unlikely to know about. Nice. Um, physical safety is the number one thing that you have to, you have to offer her a space away from the physical violence, because if she, if her life is in danger, if she even thinks that it is, I promise you there is, she's in more danger than she even thinks that she is uh, because victims tend to minimize their their feeling of how dangerous of a situation that they're in. So number one, focus on their immediate safety first. Um, Don't try to investigate it. You're not an investigator. Um, Don't, don't ask her a lot of questions about, well, how many times did he hit you? No, 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 no. Don't Mm. do that. That is, re-victimizing a victim, yes. your yes. job is to stand on the side of every victim who comes to you because Jesus would do that. He is with yes. her. You yes. need to stand with him, with her. Number one thing. Um, the, the second thing I'd say is um, believe the victim. Yes. Believe the yes. victim. Now, I, listen, there are time. Could, could a victim, could someone possibly lie? Absolutely. Absolutely. But guess what? It's a very small percentage of people, statistically speaking, right. that are going to lie about abuse. It's because- minute. It's like, uh, what, two or three percent. And even even if someone is lying, yes. there's there's a cry for help. 
Oh, absolutely. So we just need to take the assumption they're telling the truth. And then if in that tiny, tiny percentage, they are not, we can work that out later. Absolutely. You have to start with belief. Here's why. Victims um, very rarely lie because if they, uh, they have so much to lose in telling their stories. Number one, when you see someone um, that's trembling, who has a hard time focusing on what they're saying and they're saying they've been abused believe the victim two two percent is a v- very likely the amount of, of victim people who lie about being victims on the high end eight percent but i don't believe it's right. nearly that high so what what we're seeing is that almost all the people who come forward and say they're victims actually are yeah and and here is why your belief in them is so important victims have been isolated and they have been indoctrinated by their abuser the abuser has done a really good job of isolating them from their friends and their family. So the one voice that they've heard over and over is a voice that is degrading and derogatory and has devalued them. And they, they have probably probably felt for a long time that they don't actually have a voice and that even if they do, no one really will believe them or even care. Mm-hmm. So when you take the step to say, I see you, I hear you and I believe you. Yes, yes. You yes. are actually, you are serving to help them take the first steps in healing the trauma that they've experienced. Belief is a powerful thing. And, and we're understanding more and more about the power of offering belief to someone. It's an incredible gift to a victim yes. for someone to say, I believe you. Validation. Yeah, validation is priceless because most people who have been abused have been gaslit for so very long. And they honestly question their own ability to even remember things. And they they start to believe that they're the one that is crazy. And and so validation is is one of the most priceless gifts that we can give to someone who's walked that journey. Absolutely. It is it is an essential element to working with victims. Validation, we all need it. Just think about right. the times when when you, maybe not in an abusive situation, but in a struggle, you, you've shared something and someone just sits with you and they're willing to hear you and they don't question your, your version of what you share. Mm-hmm. They don't say, well, what did you do wrong? You right. Know, oh my gosh. <laughs> something that is so incredibly yes. uplifting and transformative when we we are believed so offer belief yes. to victims um another thing that i'd say is um don't ever think that in an abusive situation that there are two sides to the story. amen amen um, never amen. believe that abuse is not an issue with the victim abuse is solely an issue within the abuser yes, yes. the root of all abuse is control it's mm-hmm. not anger. It's not an anger management issue. Um, it's so frustrating to me to, to when people and courts do this too. They mandate anger management training. And I just want to be like, listen, if if anger was the issue, then they'd go around everywhere towards right. people and destroying relationships right. and be abusive. No, this is targeted. It's an issue of control. And they have decided to objectify this person and make them an object to control. So this is not a two sides issue. That's right. Don't be saying it takes two to tango. And no, there are no. two sides to every story because when abuse, adultery, addiction are part of the equation, that does not fly. It does not fly at all. 
And speaking of that, um, pastors often want to say, hey, I think we need to just get both of you together to sit down. (laughs) Now, I'm going to say this. Absolutely. Under no circumstances is couples counseling indicated when it comes to issues of abuse. It is very, very dangerous for victims when pastors say, hey, let's hear both sides. Let's sit down and work this out because, you know, marriage is a, is a permanent covenant and God hates divorce. It's Mm. all these, all these ideas that, that pastors get um, often with incomplete theological constructs and uh, very dangerous ideas that further victimize the victim. Do not suggest couples counseling when it comes to a victim of abuse, because just like in a court of law, um, in their house, every single thing that that victim shares in that in that moment can and will be used against her. Absolutely. At home by her abuser. On the ride home. Oh, my gosh. Immediately. immediately. On the ride home, the, the looks and the silent treatment and the brooding and the steaming and the smoke coming out of the ears. Yes. yes. It's yes. so, so dangerous. And I cannot tell you how many counselors licensed counselors that are trying to get my friends to sit in couples counseling after hearing about abuse. I'm like, okay, people, we have to, we have to get this right. We have to stop doing this. We we do. We we do. And and that just, you know, that's why when someone says, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a counselor in this subject. First thing I'll, I'll say is if there's any abuse, um, you need to absolutely make sure that that counselor has specific training in the dynamics of domestic violence. And you need to ask, would you ever recommend that someone gets a divorce? Would you would you ever do that? Yeah. And if the yeah. counselor says no, don't go to that. counselor. Don't go there. Don't go there. Um, yeah. And I believe that stands for pastors that much more because yes. the weight of a pastor's voice is heavy on people who believe in the Lord, who take the Bible seriously, like the pastor's voice. Um, there's a lot of weight that mm-hmm. goes in what a pastor says. So if you have a pastor who uh, says under no circumstances, would I ever recommend that someone gets an abuse, gets a divorce, I, I would highly Run. encourage you to consider Run. going to a different church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that is not a safe place for any victim. And I'll, um, I'll go so far as to say that if I am, if I am searching out a pastor to listen to online, um, I will first Google and find out what sermons he has about marriage and divorce. Yes. And it may sound a little bit cancel culture, but that is one, that is one place that I'm just not going to sit and listen because I've, I've been through it for so long and for so many years. And if he has a sermon about divorce marriage that allows abuse to be, a thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear what he has to say about anything else. Yeah. I, I <laughs> that's I, just I where I you. am right now. That's no, where I am. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually agree with you. And I don't think that's a, that's an issue of cancel culture. Cancel culture is, is, you know, erasing someone and punishing them and shaming them. I, I think what you're saying is very different. I think it's wise um, because if you have a pastor who doesn't believe in divorce for any reason, then you are subjecting yourself to very dangerous teaching yes. and dangerous relationship possibilities for you. Um, so it's just simply not a safe place for any victim. And because one in three or one in four women will be a victim of her intimate partner in her lifetime, there's a good chance that any woman listening 
I mean, yes. a high chance that it's yes. going to happen. So you don't want to be in a church or I wouldn't want to be in a church no. where no. the pastor said, you know, I, I just don't, I, I believe it's a, it's an issue of permanence. Like there's a marriage permanence. I, I don't believe that. I think that's a poor interpretation of scripture and quite, quite frankly, lazy theologically. Absolutely. Well, I know that you and I and your wife and I could like the first time I met with her, we just could talk forever and forever. So we will definitely have you back on um, in the future just to hash out some of this. But tell us where we can find you and what type of offerings you have right now to offer to survivors. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Heather, again, for uh, allowing me this opportunity to be on with you. This is uh, just such an encouragement to my heart um, because this issue just burns in my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to say to victims out there, um, there are people who see you and hear you and believe yes. you. Yes. So we, we are for you. We will stand with you. And we're so sorry for what you're going through. And yes. You are not alone. Yes. Um, I want you to know that there are uh, different options uh, of reaching out for help. If you'd like to talk to me, um, I just recently started a a coaching business um, related to spiritual direction and um, domestic abuse coaching. Um, What what I find is that there's so many people out there, particularly in the church world, that are wondering if what they're experiencing is abuse. I would love to walk with you and, and, and help you sort of like figure those things out and talk through things from a spiritual perspective and um, help you get free from abuse. Um, You can reach out to me on um, all the social media channels at Neil Shorey, N-E-I-L-S-C-H-O-R-I. I'd love to have more conversations with you. Um, You could also book an appointment to talk with me on um, at Shorey Coaching. So it's S-C-H-O-R-I Coaching. And that is on Facebook. You can make, um, you can book that um, anytime in the next week, um, I'll make space for you. Uh, but, uh, I do, um, I value all the victims out there, what you're going through. Um, it does not have to be the end of your story and there will be people who believe you and will walk with you. Amen. Amen. An army, an army is rising up. Yes. And you know, there's just there, there will be enough. I, I believe with all my heart, that there's going to be enough. I'm getting ready to start a, a book study of the called to peace book with ladies that were at the retreat last weekend. And awesome. like, we're just, we're going to all do our part to get the job done. And I myself am working with a coach to get certified so that I can do what you're doing in the future. Yes. Because the need is great. And if I believe that if we all just step out, even when we're shaken, even when we're trembling, even when we feel ill-equipped <laughs> yes. and, and we're scared to death that we're going to, you know, not do everything perfectly, um, God is going to cover us and he's going to protect us. We still need to be wise. We still yes. need to get training. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm super excited to get to know you guys better. I feel like there's some collaborations coming for sure. And God is going to use every vessel that is willing. He is going to yes. flow through. So oh, he, thank he does. you. He's, he's good like that. And yeah. I love what you said <laughs> that, that, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to know it all to, to get involved. And um, God, God really will equip people who are willing, who are looking for resources, who really want to be led by him. And, um, you know, you won't get it all right. Um, but 
in order to work with people who are struggling, who are victims, it's so essential to keep learning, keep reading, keep connecting with people, keep talking with people who come at this from a different angle than you and, and, and just pray for those right opportunities because God will equip you. Amen. Amen. As always, ladies, you're welcome to join us on Facebook. The group is Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. And if you have any other reason that you'd like to contact me, I have a new email address. (laughs) So it's info at heatherelizabeth.org. And of course, my website is heatherelizabeth.org. So we look forward to learning and growing and healing with you. And pray blessings on your day. Thank you so much. Mm